what we do here is go back, 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 back. Yeah, good mate. Thanks for having me. Who went the hardest in the, the celebrations? I can't say myself, can I? Uh, <laughs> if- you sort of almost got to tell yourself that you're a, you're a big game player or a mm. big finals player. So somehow I thought, well, just because I play well as a 13 year old, I have to play well in the grand final. Me and, me and Cogs are um, a couple of good WA boys and we, we do get a bit affectionate with each other, always giving each other kisses and stuff. <laughs> nah, not really, just, you know, a manly kiss yeah. in the cheek every now and then. back to the Bray and Ethan podcast, episode 54. You're with Bray Loveridge and Ethan Roth and Ethan. We've been working hard the last couple of weeks to lock in some guests and we've had a challenge to a few of our plans, but it's all been worth the wait because today's guest gets as big as it is. Yeah, it's honestly as big as it gets, Bray. Uh, and despite that, we're going to give him an introduction. We won't mention all of his accolades because that would take some time. But 325 games of AFL football. He's a Brownlow medalist, a second one of them on the show, following Shane Woden earlier in the year. Three-time premiership player with the Brisbane Lions and an Australian Hall of Fame in Nuck-Dee, Bray. So, uh, Jason Ackermanis, it's an absolute honour and pleasure to have you on. G'day, fellas. Yes, I'm actually in four Hall of Fames. Can you believe that? I think my life peaked at 39. <laughs> you can't really get in the Real Estate Hall of Fame. Maybe I could, but yes, it's it's been pretty crazy. Who would have thought one sport could deliver all those Hall of Fames? Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, well, there's so many questions to ask, so it's going to be a lot of fun. But to wind back the clock, tell us about the young Jason Ackermanis. What was it like to live in Victoria before you moved to Queensland? Well, it wasn't too bad. I mean, my mum uh, at the time, we had myself and my younger brother, Rory. So me, Ritardo and mum, we, we just sort of lived and, you know, nothing was really out of the norm. But playing on the rules footy from seven, playing a couple of years at South Mandura, mum wanting to come back to Brisbane where she was born and bred. And so we came back and... I think uh, having played Aussie Rules footy was a was a blessing because it wasn't really that big uh, for the other ki- kids in Queensland would play rugby league, rugby union. There's a lot of Polynesian kids, so they're pretty big and they hurt a lot. So Aussie Rules was never far away from my life. I only really growing up had one year where I had to miss uh, with a bad, a bad head knock I had earlier before the footy season where I nearly died. So having missing that year as a 15-year-old was kind of good. And then, yeah, I was able to play – under-17s in the National Carnival uh, as a 16-year-old and then played again as a 17-year-old. And then that that was really – I mean, as a 16-year-old, I got basically on the the Brisbane Bears radar. I was training with them over the preseason. That was Nathan Buckley's first year here. And so, you know, I was already under their – I suppose their wing. And then, of course, they can get you outside of the draft back then, a bit like a, a – an academy pick these days, but back then you could you could play for your own, uh, I suppose your own state in a way. You could play wherever you were. So myself, say Leo Barry, would, he went to the Swans. He played for Riverina, where well, he was country Victoria, uh, country New South Wales, for example. So, and then Michael Voss and Clark Keating, who just dropped me off from from having a, a good lunch, and and Brent Green. There's probably five guys I played in the under twelves state side that went on from there. We won that carnival, which is pretty rare for a Queensland team. Two of the best at all the states in that under-12s in 1988. So that's that's how I ended up getting to to the Bears, and the Bears drafted me as a local selection in 1994. So I was 17, and that was the age you could do back then. So the next year I was in year 12, which was good because I really uh, didn't want to move states to play for another AFL club. So it was, it was a good deal for us. And then I got a chance to finish year 12 here at Nudgee College, which is an all-boys rugby union school and an athletic scholarship. So that's how I 
I got from Mugdura, you know, growing up into Brisbane and then eventually got to the AFL. Yeah, so you completed your first, uh, your last year of school um, while you were obviously on the list. What was it like being there at the time when, you know, the merge happened um, with Fitzroy? Obviously the only merge that's happened um, in the AFL. Yeah, it's, well, if you were a Fitzroy fan, you'd probably be pretty disappointed, but you'd be happy with the long-term outcome. I mean, Fitzroy were in $1.2 million debt which is just not that much. Like you look at it now, you think about, I think at one stage there, Brisbane Lions a few years ago in 12 million bucks. I think Port Adelaide were 9.9 million. Like, you know, that's collapse central. But of course the AFL with the TV rights, you know, you can, you can easily hold those clubs up at the moment. But back then going from the Bears to the Lions, I mean, well, it was a good deal for us. So we'd become the Lions, you know, it's a it's a much better marketing tool anyway, be, becoming a Lion. But then we got uh, seven pretty good quality players. Unfortunately, out of those really good players, we only had Chris Johnson in that era of those seven players from Fitzroy who ended up playing in the premierships years later. So it was, you know, 96 was a, was a funny year. I don't know the AFL really. They, they couldn't do it again. I mean, they've tried a few times. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that long ago they tried to merge, say, Hawthorne and Melbourne. I mean, you can imagine that now. Like, just not going to happen, not going to happen. So I think it was it was the right time in some ways and they're lucky to get it through. But I was pretty grateful to become the Lions in, in one sense, even though the Bears had built up all the way to finals in 95. So we were we were certainly uh, becoming a strong team. But, you know, marketing-wise, I mean, you'd rather be a, a, a Lion than a, a silly koala bear, that's for sure. Yeah, for, for sure. But uh, the next few years, you really did burst onto to the AFL scene, which led you to winning the Brownlow in 2001. Did you come into that night expecting to win it? Oh, bro, I had a pretty good year in 99. So, you know, starting at 95, 96 yeah. wasn't too bad. 97, we come last. 98, it's a bit of a junk year. But then when Lee came, I went from forward to back, became an All-Australian defender. And I think that year I won our votes of 99 for the club. And I knew then that I was – you know, I had blonde hair by then. I was starting to stand out. So by the time 2001 came, I was already playing a lot of minutes, if not full-time by then, as I was in the midfield. And I suppose going to the midfield, you're always more of a chance. Everyone knows that you play in the midfield, you're around the ball more, the umpire see you all the time. Uh, and I think I knew uh, the first half of the year, like people think I'm joking, but I carried that whole Brisbane Lions midfield right up to when we probably started to click in the gear about round 10 when we beat Essendon. Ironically, they play Essendon this weekend, the Lions. But if you think about it, the the reality was by the back end of the season, the rest of the midfield started to take all my votes and all that kind of stuff. But I'd had such a good start. I was winning the count at halfway. I thought going in, if you watched our games, you'd, you'd say it was a pretty big show. Uh, you, I just got a lot of three voters, which helped. And then the back half of the year, I still was able to, to get a few really good games in and, and sneak a few three votes in. So back then, though, they never watched every game. So if you didn't see every game, you probably didn't know how good my season was. I think everyone was pretty distracted by Andrew McLeod. had a great year that year. He'd won all the media awards. He was a superstar and, and had a super year. He came second in that count. There wasn't really much between his two votes. I think he got 35 touches and one goal in the last round and, and he didn't get a vote. So it's a strange, quirky system. But, you yeah. know, in the end, the year... The year I had, yeah, it, it was pretty deserved, and I, I, I certainly I'd be in the. I knew I'd be in the top three or four. Yeah, we spoke to Shane Lewodin, who obviously won the medal the year before, and um, he also won it as a player who was playing in a grand final in the same week. 
you guys obviously won, but um, did it have much an effect on your build-up to the match? Not too much. It wasn't too bad. It's actually a good distraction. I mean, having won the Brownlow, there's a bit more pressure, and that that just comes with the territory. Like the pressure goes from, you know, here's your normal standard to it's like you never have bad games, you never injured, you never, you never can can have a game where you're not at at, at really good, I suppose, uh, effort for your team, etc. But I think with Shane, like they they had, he had an unbelievable year the year before, surprise winner Melbourne in the grand final. For us, uh, the boys were wrapped for me, but, you know, it was really good to have the grand final to just focus on as a player. It would have been easier if you weren't playing grand final because you can go and do anything you want, you know. You can go and go to functions and, you know, drink alcohol and carry on. But for me in that week, it was it was a good settling week. And then to come into the game, you know, hot day against, against Essendon. So it was, it was one of those magical weeks, I think, when you get a chance to win a Brownlow, but then your team wins or plays in a grand final, and of course we won. It was it was pretty special. Yeah, no doubt it would have been. But to those grand finals, now you kicked some. Oops, sorry, I go down the chair. Um, yeah. just, <laughs> you just shrunk eight inches. <laughs> uh, you kicked uh, some big goals in those grand finals, including the winning snap in 02 and then a bag of five in 03. What was that rivalry with the Pies like through those grand finals? Through those grand final years. Well, our rivalry, really, the biggest rivalry we had and the biggest rival was actually Port Adelaide. They were they were the best team pretty much all the way through our four years we played in grand finals. They ended up winning in 2004, but they were nearly minor premiers every year. They were fantastic. So Collingwood were always a team because they came last the year after us. So we were last in, in 98. They were last in 99. So two years later and three years for us, we're both playing in a grand final, I think. You know, Mick Malthouse's teams are always incredibly hard to play against because they're, they're a very good tackling team. They're old-fashioned. They're much like us, you know, man-on-man, man, you know, good talent, beating other good talent and beating them across the park. You know, that's the way that, that footy was particularly then. It still really is, but it never never changes too much. But for Mick and, he, and that particular team, 2002, there's no doubt. Like, they, they played, I think, in the grand final anyway, Above their like their normal average range for defense, like they were unbelievable. Their their tackling pressure, we went through their stats, and I've I've said this a few times, but their tackling rate of efficiency was ninety percent. So they're making nine out of ten tackles. Now, if we made eighty percent, we always won the game. We were very good defensively, but for them to have that type of day on a grand final day, I think the weather helped that style of game, certainly their defensive pressure, and their, it suited their side being wet. Having to kick that goal, I mean, I tore my adductor, my right adductor that attaches to my pelvis bone, half off the bone. So I, I couldn't even kick. Like, it was just right foot. It was a horrible game. So to, to kick a winning goal left foot just shows you the importance of having, uh, you know, both sides of your body. I mean, James Heard couldn't do that because he couldn't kick left foot. So yeah. if he had torn that in the grand final, he'd be cactus, which he was in 2001 because he was really – his right adductor was giving him a lot of grief. So he, he just lost all power and, and he couldn't kick. So, yeah, I think the following year, Collingwood had a lot of changes. They were a much younger team, very quick and agile. But we – I don't know. We just started really well. Our pressure was good and we kicked a lot of goals. I wouldn't say that they were – Regulation goals. I was a little bit like Lynchy tried to pass it to the center of the ground, kicks a goal from, oh, sorry, the center square, uh, sorry, the, the the goal square, and, and yeah. Miss Cusa kicks a goal. Like stuff like this, it's uh, it's pretty crazy. So, you know, I think I think that was just we got away with a good start. Kicking five goals too is always always very beneficial. Back. What was that? There we are. Yeah, Back. that's real estate for you. All good. So yeah, I think I think in the 
certainly in the second year, like kicking five goals too, you know, we were dominating the game. I think I had 20-something touches, so nearly half the possessions were shots on goal. So I had a really good game. It was It's always good to play well. You never really think you're ever going to play in one grand final, let alone three. We've played in four. So it was a pretty special day. Great day for Simon Black and, and a few other boys who had good games. Clark Keating had a great game. So, yeah, it was just a good win. Yeah. And, you know, it's arguably... Arguably still the best team in the Bond era. Obviously, you had two other Brownlow medalists in your midfield. Obviously, Michael Boss and Simon Black, among other superstars like you just mentioned. Are you surprised you were able to win a three-peat and reach another grand final considering the amount of talent you had? And um, what are your thoughts on, you know, people comparing that team to other dynasties, you know, Geelong, Hawthorne and, and Richmond in recent years? Yeah, they're, they're all very good teams. I think the reality with them is they don't really travel like we did. They have no idea about travel. I mean, they travel once every few weeks. If they're lucky, they, you know, there's so many teams in Melbourne, you sleep in your own bed. Like, it's it's a no-brainer. It's not really uh, unfair or fair, but I think for us, the, the biggest things with our era and their era is is like free agency. So we couldn't really change our group much. You, you couldn't – like, they brought in – if you look at Hawthorne, for example, they got uh, Brian Harris, as it was there, from – Brian Lake from the Bulldogs. Like, yep. they got him in free agency. Like, you, you couldn't get him and big boy McAvoy and and uh, and these other players that easy. Like, you just couldn't mm-hmm. do it. Like, for us, it was too hard to to trade in and out players we needed. And we could have sustained it even longer if we could access that kind of talent. But you just couldn't back then. So, for us, that was the maximum that group could go. Like, four grand finals. We would have won the fourth had we had a better draw in the last two weeks, which which we deserve, which the AFL absolutely positively <laughs> stuffed it and they know they did. They did it on purpose. It was just a joke. <laughs> we, you know, as much as Port beat us on the day, like they had, they had the, the whole of the game on their side. It was, it was pretty ridiculous. So, but I think that that, but at times, you know, if we'd have lost that second one, which was a close game, they would say we're too old. We'd have, we'd have to, you know, get rid of some some older players. And then 2003, come, we were pretty banged up and we, we beat Sydney and Sydney, which no team's done since. It's the only loss I've ever had in a final there. And then to get into the fourth one and have what they did, the AFL to us, to beat Geelong at, at a home game at the MCG where we should have played up here. I mean, still an amazing effort. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Well, you did kick some ridiculous goals in your time, Akko, and especially those two on the boundary in the wet against Geelong. Big question is, can you teach that? Well, that's just a lot of practice. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's, there's guys who are talented enough to kick goals. You know, you've seen guys kick goals like that, you know, in the game. I think it, to do it in a game, I've kicked some amazing goals. Like there's some left foot goals I kicked in 2004 against the Bulldogs in, in that game. In that game, I kicked... Then both from the other side of the ground where the TV is from about 60, went over the fence, like 65-metre kicks, like just amazing. Those two particular goals on that particular day, you know, that's the day of days. Like that's, the, that's the game you wish you always played because it's the perfect game. You have 35 touches, you kick five goals, you had 10 tackles. Like it was outrageous. Like you just don't have ga- games like that. And those two particular goals late in the third, uh, they're pretty special there, and they're close together. Just come off, didn't need a rest, but they took me off, and I came back on late in the third, and it was, yeah, it was an amazing sequence. And it was a good sequence, and it's one people often in the street would still stop and talk to me about, yeah. which is pretty crazy. 
especially the celebration as well, the the hand on the head. Yeah, that was uh, that was funny because you know you'd see guys in soccer and EPL do that kind of stuff. I used to love a guy called Eric Cantona, and he's he's yeah. always doing that stuff. So I thought, you know, if I ever kick a goal like that, I, even I was amazed. And so was the crowd. It was a wet day, and and they put up with. It was a warm day, but it was still wet, and they came the twenty four thousand fans and you know seats about 33 so there's some keen fans there and it was uh i suppose you, you just love to have that kind of reaction that type of goal the crowd was up and about obviously being the second goal so it's a bit of theater we know but yeah geez it was it was pretty cool yeah not much room for error but um <laughs> no room for error yeah all can get stuck between the goals is that little room i tell you <laughs> Uh, it's been, you know, very well publicised that your relationship with Lee, um, Lee Matthews was sort of a key factor in your departure from Brisbane. Was it blown up more than, you know, it should have been? And how did that signing with the Bulldogs come about? Well, it was it was pretty much simple because Lee, Lee wasn't really the coach he was in 2006. By the time we started then, the game had really started to move past him. And I, I didn't agree with where it was where he was going because I was having guys rotating through me. We weren't using the bench. Back then, they were rotating a lot. They can't do it these days, but they used to do it a lot, uh, Collingwood in particular. So, you know, Geelong started doing it and we just disagreed. And I think in the end, it was either me or Lee. There was not really any room for anyone else and Lee had all the power base. Everyone loved him up here. He's doing a great job. I think he was starting – the the group was already very much – you know, we lost a couple of thousand games of talent, so it wasn't really a, a big shock. I'd won the best in Ferris year before, so it wasn't like I was in bad form. So I think in the end it was, you know, like I'm catching up with Lee next, next week for a coffee again, like I catch up with him all the time. So back then, though, you know, he and I both agreed we could have done it better, but there's no doubt that – it just, it, I just had to move on. Thirty going to Melbourne. I had a lot of media work then. It was, it was the right decision. I had really only two clubs that were were pretty keen with the deals that they set. So Essendon and the Bulldogs. The Bulldogs deal was fifty grand more a year uh, f- for three years, and you know the Essendon deal wasn't bad, but it was two years and fifty grand less, and no real guarantee. And I thought they were going to get rid of their coast coach at the time, uh, Kevin Sheedy, and they did. So, And that was always on my mind. In the end, Bulldogs are a little bit, which you can't believe, but a little bit more stable, just played in their first final, the young group on the up. And we played in three prelims in my four years there. So well, that means you're a good team. So I played in nine prelims in 12 years. So, you know, I only had three years where we weren't in the top four. So I was in some good teams. Yeah, no doubt. Well, let's talk about the handstand because it's one of the most I – iconic uh, things that is resembled with you about who you are. But uh, how did it all start and how disappointing was it that the uh, Bulldogs said no to it towards the end of your career? Oh, that was just stupid, really, the Bulldogs <laughs> saying no to it. But, you know, the, the coach didn't mind it. Most of the players were right, just a couple of players, you know. And as you do in clubs, like you try and – they tried a very controlling – as they were, the Bulldogs at that stage, they tried to stop everything. And I just said, hey, boys, take a hike. This is not going to happen. But the handstand was easy, you know, to give up because it's it's pretty individualistic. But it's also because we, we win, I do the handstand. Yeah. But the handstand, yeah, that started uh, sort of 99. It was a few games in. I can't remember how many, but Ronnie Burns, who I, I played with in the Allies in 96, he was in Geelong, playing Geelong. He's, he's one of the brothers, number eight, good player, kick the left foot goal, you know, runs around the boundary, does – aeroplanes and does a cartwheel. And I'm thinking, it's pretty stupid. So the next week, Ronnie would come up 
and Geelong come up and, and as I said back then, Lee would put me on the fastest small defenders and they were generally Aboriginal players. Like it was, they were always the quickest. But they didn't like me because I was faster than them, you know. They don't, like, they, they don't like a defender coming down with red hair or blonde hair as it was then and running faster than them. So, and i never forget going there and Ronnie, Ronnie, because he's a mate of mine, he's like, hey, brother. And I'm like, Ronnie, how you going, mate? He's like, I don't know, at the end of this game, brother, you know, I still have my my spot in this team, but I'm not so sure about you. And I said, uh, Ronnie, yeah, Ronnie, no worries. Anyway, after the game, I had like 30 touches and, through, you know, a couple of goals from oh, the back just, pocket. And just a lazy 30 and a couple of goals in the back pocket. Just, <laughs> just three votes and I said, uh, <laughs> see you later, Ronnie. Goes, you deadly brass, you know, piss off, you bastard. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then Justin Leppage, the teammate of the line, the big, the big uh, Austrian uh, redhead, he goes, I want to do one of those cartwheel things. So I went down and did a cartwheel. And then the next week we played at home and they caught on vision the cartwheel. But it was really hot. I remember I was pretty fatigued and I went down to do we won again and three Brownlow votes and thank the crowd <laughs> and go down and, and I went to do this stupid cartwheel and of course I was so fatigued I didn't even do a cartwheel and I'm doing a handstand. So that's how that's how the handstand started. As ridiculous yeah. as that was, everyone's pretty embarrassed at that stage. But once I added in the, you know, the, the push up, kiss the ground kind of stuff, it was became so big. I used to get I used to get letters. So when I would go around, if I di- if I neglected a section, which I often did because you know I wanted to be close to the race because you want to walk off as quick as you can after you do it. But the players, to their credit, would always wait, and they didn't all love it. Don't get me wrong, but they all understood the importance of it in in the sense that we won. It was at home. Aka does his handstand. It's all cool. Yep. And I'll get letters from areas in the ground that that didn't get any handstands for a month. So I had to you know, go over there and do my handstand. So it was, it was pretty funny. It was pretty crazy. But, yet I wasn't even the best handstand in the group. Like Daniel Bradshaw, he does handstands and he can walk up steps like he's oh. a freak. So I wasn't even the best handstand dude. If, if Braddy did it, he made me look stupid. <laughs> uh, so you were the leading goal kicker to, uh, for the Bulldogs in 2009. And, you know, as you said, you had some media commitments, which you and the club didn't exactly see eye to eye on. Um, so then your, co- your contract terminated before the 2010 year is over. Um, would you have done anything different? Or do you think, you know, you, you just had different ideas about, you know, what should be allowed, what shouldn't be allowed? You know, was it was it that simple or was it, um, yeah, do you have any sort of regrets? Well, I think the, the thing with the Bulldogs is the playing, the, the very senior players I'd got offside because I wouldn't do what they asked, basically. That was that was pretty much key. So you had what we call the A-team, you know, so we had Daniel G and Syracuse, Bob Murphy, Ben Hudson, Chris Grant, Luke Darcy, yeah, maybe Scotty West. Him and I still mates. We got on great. And maybe, maybe, but maybe not Chris Johnson. So, uh, sorry, um, Brad Johnson. So I think with... With Brad, Brad understood where I was coming from. He's certainly the very empathetic and he's a good leader like that. I think the the, the two, two things, the two times, the only two times I ever got injured were as far as hamstring tendons were the both times I got sacked. It's the only time I couldn't just do what I wanted and just go out and perform. And it was the hamstring tendon sort of injuries. They're in different spots, but they they, they cost me the chance to just basically go and stick it up, which I always did, always did. And that was the only regret is actually and the unfortunate thing was getting injured because we went on to play in the prelim final that year and there's no doubt they could have used me because we had injuries, had guys that weren't coming up uh, from finals. So 
experienced player like me, I played, you know, 30 odd finals. So it wasn't like I didn't know what I was doing. It was really disappointing. But, you know, being leading goal kicker, the, the thing that hurt that was they brought Barry Hall in. Barry's fantastic. Him and I are the same age. And he just he just took all the ball coming inside 50. So when you're a small forward, it's it's quite difficult, particularly as a leading marking small forward. Uh, I got a lot of goals in my day with crumbing because you had Lynchy and Brady, but having having barrier just didn't adjust quick enough and and I, that really hurt me as far on the individual side and my output looked like it was down but yeah it was it was just a it's just a crap situation and they the bulldogs players at the time like what they did was unforgivable really unforgivable like can't play with him just not doing what we ask and what their demands were i thought ridiculous so i did, kept doing my media i kept doing my stuff and in the end they just uh, couldn't handle it. had a big sook and you know, I was I was on the outer for a while before it happened. But, you know, you had David Smorgan and you had all the leadership over there just basically making the decision. And the guy that was in my corner, you know, was the CEO, Campbell Rose, and, you know, he had really nothing to do with it. He, he had nothing to do with my sacking at all. In fact, if he had his way, he would have said, boys, you know, take a hike, take a seat. But the group, the power group at the, at the time with the players and the president and the CEO, uh, sorry, and the head of footy, et cetera, was just too powerful. What was Rodney Ede? Like, what was he sort of saying during all of this? Was he, uh, he, he probably, the disappointing thing about Rodney, and I, and I say this, and I'd say this to his face if he doesn't know it, is that he was so lacklustre. In that particular period, he needed to be a very strong leader and say, particularly the playing group. Like, the playing group, you say, listen, you don't need to get on with him. You don't need to like him. But when he goes out in the field, you respect each other and you play for each other. So it, you don't need all this other crap. And that's what he should have said, but he didn't. And that's where he kind of really disappointed myself in the lack of leadership at the time because you know, he was already not happy with the president. Like the, the they did a review a few years before. Uh, it was he, he didn't like it. He thought it was a witch hunt. He thought these guys had no idea what they're doing. So. You know, Rodney was not always, uh, he certainly wasn't comfortable with the leadership. So I felt like he at least could stand up and say to the playing group or the president, mate, just, you know, let me handle this, my job, you know, but he didn't. And that's that's really what hurt him and what hurt me and what hurt the club in the end because I had to get sacked and they had to do it. They had to make all the moves where Rodney could have easily fixed this long before it got that bad. Mm, yeah, and then he didn't too, last too long after that. So Oh, he's a lunatic, so, you know. He's always uh, he's always got a shelf life when you're that crazy. But he look for that group is is the right coach, no doubt. And he's he's Rodney's biggest problem was he would tell the media stuff he shouldn't have told them. That was simple yeah. as that. The media loved him because he would give up his players information all the time when he should never have done it. And that was once once the players found out what he was saying to the media, uh, it was yeah you, you basically you're out. And that's that happened to him twice. Happened to the at the Gold Coast, you know, he, he just started too many rumours. He, he, he'd tell the press too much and that's cost him his job. Yeah. Uh, well, what are your thoughts on the AFL nowadays and more, more specifically characters of the game because it doesn't feel like there's been much room for players to show their character or show who they are uh, in recent years like you did? Yeah, I think it's probably uh, – I think it's the opposite. I think you see a lot more of the characters because you can follow them on social media. You can yeah. – they're always playing practical jokes. They're always doing way more stuff that we you ever caught us on camera. I think they get they're, in trouble, though. They get in they trouble do, for the stupid, simplest things, don't they? They do get in trouble. Yeah. And they – but, you know, it's not saying that we didn't do that stuff. 
or we shouldn't have been filmed or anything like that. But there's no doubt, like the stupidity of some of the players, like the Bailey Smith thing that, you know, he's ever got gain. That's many months ago. comes out many months later, says it was all too hard. Like, you know, you, you, I've, I've lost a, a premiership as well. I didn't, I didn't have – never once in my life was I thinking, oh, I'm feeling so down about myself. I'm going to go and have a line of cocaine. Like, that's just, that's just not going to happen. So there's a – part of me is always like, you know, suffering your jocks. It's your era. You know, it's always hard. If you've been an Aussie Rules footballer in the AFL since it started, you know, the pressure is always there, whether you liked it or not, whether you think it's there or not. There's pressure from your teammates, from your coaches. It's never been any different. Now they're saying, oh, well, because, you know, you've got access to players now that somehow it's it's more. It's just a different type of pressure. It's still there. I mean, you still want to play well. you still got the same pressure on your spot. It doesn't matter if you're a regular player. You've got to, prefer, you know, you're pressured to perform. So, I don't know. I, I think the characters are definitely there. You can follow your your favourite guy. I mean, look at Bailey Smith. He had, he's the highest in the AFL. He's one of the highest going around, like a quite amazing following. So it it does show you that if you want to be in that side and you want to promote that side and have all those followers, as say Bailey Smith does, well, don't don't cry and cry me a river when, you know, someone takes a video and all of a sudden you're doing the wrong thing and, and you're made a cannibal. Like, are you, are you serious? Like, it's complete... Don't be a hypocrite. I think that's just the, the nature of the change in in the the technology, but you adapt to it. They, you know, like as if you're gonna go into a party with your phone and record that stuff. Like that's just that's just dumb to yeah. me. So why would you do that? It's it's just stupid. So yeah, I don't have a lot of empathy for them as far as I understand the pressures, but I, I don't think that it's it's no different in many sense to what it really is. You've you've still got to find a way to perform. Yeah, for sure. Well, before we head to the Instagram Q&As, what are you doing up uh, to these days? I believe you're doing a bit with ABC Grandstand and calling the footy and also real estate work, which you uh, are doing currently now. Yeah, yeah. So I have my own real estate company up here, Acumenus Properties. I was with uh, Ray White down the road here for a few months and went out my own. So this is my second year. This is my second full year. Yep. Um, so I got a rent roll and a few other things. So just building it out takes takes a, takes a while. Um, but lots of sales coming up. It's been a crazy market, Southeast Queensland. Still do lots of talking and speaking. I do an odd game here and there, but I'm probably getting a bit old for that. I think this might be my last year. I'm 45. I got one coming up next weekend in Tasmania, which will be nice and cold. So we'll see how that goes. But yeah, I still do a lot of a lot of corporate work. Uh, have the world's biggest crypto called uh, Zucoins, which is coming out. So that's that's been keeping us busy for five years. And AR called Zucas. So it's that that part's been good, and then yeah, I do ABC Grandstand. I think I've got two games. Say this weekend where it's recorded, we got Gold Coast against Richmond, and then we've got Brisbane Lions versus Essendon. So yeah, yeah I I keep myself doing busy doing that. Still play golf a couple of times a week, and got three daughters. So generally, that's my week to week cycle. I play Div One basketball on Monday and oh. Div Three basketball on Wednesday, and then play Masters. You know, every every. Maybe once a month at the moment, the way I'm going over at Morningside. That's about it. Nice, busy you're life. Pretty, you're pretty. Uh, you're pretty serious about your golf, weren't you? You wanted to try and, you know, take it professionally. Yeah, I went to Q School twice, so that's you got to be under three point three handicap. I was off point one. Or oh. oh, so you know, going there, but those guys are off plus four and five. They're young guys too. They're, they're not easy to beat, and they hit the ball a mile. So yeah. it's good fun. But then I, I woke up and I was I was semi-retired then anyway, and I was like, I'm over this retirement playing golf stuff. I'm going to go back and work. So that was I went from playing five golf games a week to one a month. 
So now I play a couple of times a week. So I'm pretty happy. I earn, earn way more money than I would playing golf. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. Got to get a good balance. Well, we'll move through to the Instagram Q&As or even Facebook, TikTok and Twitter, just at Bray and Ethan on all those platforms other than TikTok where it's just Bray Ethan. So no <laughs> and in that one. But uh, first question here from Christian Popalis, hardest opponent you played on? Uh, that's a good question. I didn't really have, like most of the opponents who are taggers are always pretty hard to play against there. They generally don't want to get the ball, so they're not really interested in doing anything but uh, holding you. But there was a guy who used to always beat pretty comfortably. His name was Stephen Baker, and then he turned into an absolute animal. He would bash you in the back play. He was he broke every rule. He was he was he was the toughest, but he was also the dirtiest. And and you know most of the guys I played on, um, you know, as taggers always got their measure eventually. And the odd game you might break even, but that's that's the taggers' job. I can have 15 touches. They have five, and yeah. you know I'm less than normal. They are pretty happy. But yeah, I thought thought he was uh, for a long time one of the easier opponents. It was tough to play on always to get away from him, but I always had his measure. But yeah, I think in the end, him, him turning as he did quite physical it made it pretty tough. Uh, this one's from just your average fantasy. Have you ever watched your own highlights? Oh yeah, all the time. When I go <laughs> speaking speaking gigs, I have the same top ten. Sometimes I alter the top tens around. I, I just do the commentary over them, tell them where the where the game was, where I kicked the goal. So, yeah, I don't, I don't. I've sat down and watched. There's, there's a lot of guys done a lot of highlights of me. So there's one that goes for like 15 minutes. So I sat down one day years ago, watched it all. I was like, man, that guy's good. Ah, <laughs> uh, next. So Next one here from Leams. Uh, were you naturally good on your opposite foot, or did you just put a lot of work into it? I was naturally good on the opposite foot, but I, I put a lot of work on it. So when I trained, since I was probably seven, you know, every second kick would be left foot. And I just always practiced. Like I'd go down on my days off and practice. So, you know, I was the best kick ever played. Uh, if you ask Mike Sheen, the best finisher ever played. And that, that's the reason. Those hours, hours and hours of work since I was a kid. You know, that's why I kick goals. Pretty much best kick on the run in standard play and also for goals. So that's just, that's just hours of work. Yeah. Uh, this one's from Kate. Uh, oh, sorry, Christi- Cristiano uh, Coloca. Is Dusty the greatest finals player of all time? Oh, absolutely. I think he's, yeah, absolutely. I think he's played 12 best on grounds and, and three Norm Smith medalists. Yeah. Like just, just crazy. He's, that's amazing effort. You know, the, the round Robin stuff and the Brown last day is still a great player, but I don't think anyone's had the effect that he has not one, like, and there's some of the, the best players who ever played can't can't match that. It's quite an amazing record and, you know, something that I, I doubt you see will ever be broken. It's just so special. And what a player to play well in, in finals. Yeah, he's, he's remarkable. Definitely the best finals player ever. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Cade Fagan, favourite of those uh, premierships and which teammates are you still closest with these days? Well, the favourite would have been 2003 because I kicked five goals. That was always good because you <laughs> played really well. So that's an easy one. I think yep. the closest mates I have uh, still to today out of those premierships, uh, so Clark Keating and I are great mates and, and very close. He has three daughters. I have three daughters. My daughters generally, when they can, will babysit his daughters because they're a bit older. And yep. Simon Black lives around the corner here and I'm very close with Simon. And then uh, I'm very close with Craig McRae, who coaches at Collingwood yep. now. And uh, that, I think Craig, during my, my time at the Lions, was my closest mate at the Lions. And, yeah, the other guys, since I've come back, you know, so when I go catch up with Lee, Lee's always like, you got to ring crackers and Blackie. Like, you know, it's just standard. So 
that'll give you an idea. They, those particular guys. But if I see the other premiership players in the lines, always have a, have a big hug and how you doing, what's happening. Like it's it's pretty close group. So, but they, those three are the, the closest mates. Well, speaking of uh, Craig McRae, we got one from Cade North saying, is it true you helped build uh, Craig McRae, um, his confidence and um, his belief to make sure that he was was good enough for the Collingwood job? Well, it was a, a simple case of he didn't really think he should go for the job. And I just said, you should go for the job, mate. You're a good coach. You, you've coached in your own right. You've coached a VFL premiership. You've been in six out of seven AFL premierships in your life, one VFL, like, you know, you've got the cred. Don't worry about that. And I think him going to Richmond and then finally to Hawthorne and then he goes back to the pies where he worked, you know, before those two jobs, I think they understood his value, but he's he's a brilliant coach. So in the end, all I could do was encourage him as a mate. And the funny thing about all of that is about two weeks before he got announced, uh, a mate of mine who he played footy with and he was on our list, a guy called Kevin Thunderwatch, he's a big uh, Collingwood fan, which is funny because he played for the Lions, but he's a big Collingwood fan and like a nutcase. And he has some mates that were on, on the board and they must have been on the, the committee or very close to. And so two weeks before he gets the job, I get a text from Kevin and he says, uh, looks like Fly's got the job. And I'm like, oh, great. So I text Fly. I said, mate, congratulations. Fly's like, what are you talking about? I said, you got the Collingwood job. And he's like, Mate, they haven't done the final interview yet. They haven't told me anything. I said, well, just act surprised when they tell you. Anyway, two weeks later, he gets, starts to get out in the media that he's in the final two and then, of course, he gets the job. And I text him. I said, did you act surprised? He said, some of my best uh, acting performances <laughs> you've ever seen. So that was that was the craziness of it, you know, just just keep yeah. pushing him along. Yep. And he, he deserved the job. He's a super coach. He'll be a great what coach. A, what a job he's doing now. Yeah, great job. Flies, uh, Fly and Vossi are doing great jobs. Vossi got a better list probably, but Craig will be there for 10 years. He'll win a couple of flags for those boys. Yeah. No doubt. I'm just saying they're on the right track. Lachlan Byrne, what advice would you give to Isaac Rankin? And do you see similarities between you two? Yeah, I think Isaac, uh, i got to call the game he's playing this weekend. I've seen him a couple of games live. Like, he's super talented. He should just dye his hair all the way blonde. <laughs> stand, really stand out. Because he's such a... He, you know, he's actually playing more minutes upfield, which he should. Like, if you can get in the midfield, like, he's good enough to be a match winner. He can kick goals, we know that. But, you know, I think the Gold Coast now are, are a really strong outfit and they are very hard to beat at home. He, he should kick, you know, 25 to 35 goals every year and he and he should be in their midfield. He's a, he's a really good player. So, yep. yeah, I would say dye your hair blonde and you don't have to get the tattoos. Just dye the hair blonde, you'll be right, you'll stand out. Yep. He, he was looking all right for a while there and then he kind of regressed back. Maybe some shiny boots as well. But he'll stand out. He's a good player. Some gold ones. Gold ones, yeah. Yellow ones. Yeah. Yellow ones. Not white ones. They don't stand out anymore. Maybe black ones. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, Liam G717, what were the emotions when you found out about your AFL and or other sporting Hall of Fame inductions? Well, it wasn't really a surprise. Like it was a good to get the call because you get the ten, t- you get the ten seats at the table, and my family can go and and get it. But you know, I'd had a pretty, pretty good career. I think it wasn't like a fate complete. But the the press said the year before, like someone got in, I forget who it was, and the press started to because you get like five years, and then after five years you can get in. And on the fifth year, when it was my turn, I didn't get in, and the press went. 
hang on, this is how does he get in and he doesn't get in? Like, you know, you might not like what he says, but occasionally, but he, you know, this guy is better than this guy and he's in and he's not. So I knew pretty much from that moment on with the press starting to give the committee a bit of heat because they should have and they deserve the heat because you're like, you know, it didn't make much sense. So I knew yeah. probably the next year that I'd get in. So the emotions were like a really, there's not much you can do once they, like when they give you a, a, even the fourth Hall of Fame, like they're, they're great, but they're like a reward for something you did all these years ago that you did, you know, for six, 12 years and you did a great job or 16 years as it was, 16 years for me. So, you know, it's really an odd feeling because you go, yeah, I was good at what I did and you're getting rewarded for being good five, six, yeah, seven, eight yeah. years after you retired. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah I can agree with that. Yeah, it's weird, like, seeing all those names coming up and then they're just like, well, we haven't, some of them we haven't seen for, say, five or so years since they retired. So it's, Definitely. Yeah, it's a bit weird. I can agree with you on that one. But next one here from I am H. Gosh, I believe it is, Ethan. You could um, help me here, but it is a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> just leave him, leave him hanging. <laughs> how, did, how did Kent Street Senior High go for him? Is the question. Kent Street... Is this like a, I'm assuming that you visited Kent Street, the Kent Street here in Perth or? I'm not sure yes. Yes, one of my many visits. I'm not sure if I remember. Uh, yeah, I do a lot of them. I probably, I probably have to say I'm really a, sorry, but I don't quite remember that particular visit. But I, I remember visiting a school over there. You might have been, a, that guy might have been a student there at the time. It wasn't really that much. We did some skills and, and asked some questions and did some tricks. That was about it. That's my normal school visit you know yeah so he probably was a student there but that yeah, was good if it's the same one i'm thinking of which wasn't that many it, yeah it was it was good it was standard there was no i didn't get in any trouble that was good that's always a positive uh three left uh michael montaloni uh thoughts on players not kicking drop punts when they're 45 meters out directly in front yeah, that's that's stupid. I understand when you're closer in, but when you we you know run straight, kick straight. I kicked that many goals from the angles they kick snaps, and because for me, run straight, kick straight, it's much easier. So, but I'm glad like Stevie J was obviously the guy who brought it in, and it was it's really good, really good technique because you can with that kick control the ball and and the spin and the flight as good as you can a drop punt. Drop punt generally just sort of stays on the same line, but obviously you've got a bit of curve to consider. It's a bit like you know hitting a draw. Or, or, a, or, or a, you know, a slice in golf, you know, sort of just about how much it'll do that. So it's it's a good control, control kick, but from 45 metres out, you're kidding yourself. Like, it should be drop punt. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Stephen Eppis, uh, was, the threat to switch, uh, was the threat to switch to rugby union and ever a genuine possibility? Uh, in all likelihood, probably not, but it could happen. It could have happened. I mean, we... At that stage, I was big and strong enough to play rugby union, and I'd, I'd played rugby union at school, so it wasn't like I didn't know anything about it. But at that stage, they're going to bring Wayne Carey out. Wayne Carey at the time probably smelled a bit bad. Wayne Carey's a good fella now, and he's changed a whole lot. I know that, and he certainly tries to fix his ways. But at that stage, yeah, it was it was you know guys guys in footy clubs, you just need the trust. It's just. And it's very difficult to get trust. Wayne had no trust at this stage. Yeah. His teammates he had didn't trust him. Wherever he was going, wouldn't trust him. And that was that was the thing Wayne had to – the burden he had to bear, I suppose. But, yeah, I think in the end the right choice was made. I think Lee said if he wants to go to rugby, I'll, I'll make – you know, I'm the only one that knows and make sure if he goes to rugby union or words to that effect, you know. 
but yeah, it was probably not going to happen. We didn't get Wayne Carey, so I didn't have to worry. And then I was too good at Aussie rules anyway. <laughs> uh, last one here, Stephen Eppis again. Having played in Tassie at one stage, what are your thoughts on um, Tasmania having an AFL team? Yeah, yeah, I played in Tassie in uh, 2011, so the year after, the first the first round of the next year in Tassie, I played for uh, a team called Gnorky against Clarence. It was a huge crowd, made 120 grand cash that night. It was a great, great <laughs> deal. I set a record for a Tasmanian footy league, which was still hasn't been broken, and it broke the old record of 9,600. So when... I really hope Tassie does get their team. But the, the thing about Tassie, thing about Tassie, you must always remember is is divided. It's always divided. It's divided between the north and the south of the island. Both Beers and Launceston, Hobart. It's always a rivalry. They they need to come together, and that's not easy. I think the other problem and the thing that will make it work, and it's unfortunate, is that there's going to have to be a lot of government help. Mm which is a lot of taxpayers' money, you know. And as long as they're happy to do that and they go along and support it, it'll be fine. I think the the overall sense of uh, sponsorship won't be enough. It could be, and maybe, and I say maybe, it certainly could be the first ever, if they wanted the AFL, to have a, a big private either equity group or someone that's wealthy enough to actually own an AFL club. It's against everything they believe in the AFL because that would mean and have not as much control on one club, which they love. And, of course, every other club is a membership-based club. But Tassie and the way that Tassie rolls, it might just have to be a individual owner. That, that'll work fine. The, putting a team there is not a, not a big issue for me. It's actually more how do you fund it, how do you keep yeah. it funded, how do you keep it going, and that's yeah, really yeah. the most important thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you got it. Don't want to have any issues like I suppose what the Gold Coast Suns, you know, talks what they were having, and then it comes to like priority picks and that sort of thing. You want to sustain yeah. it for as long as you can. Bloody money pit there, the Gold Coast, but they're coming good. It's only taken ten years, but twelve yeah, years or whatever. Exactly. They're coming good. About time. Lastly, I just thought of this question: um, Do you sort of watch the game now more so of a fan, or do you sort of do you watch it like? Because I know you did a little bit of coaching. Do you how like how do you watch it just as a supporter mainly now? Yeah, I pretty much love, still love watching footy, uh, mostly because cause I can see I can bet on the games. So multis are great fun. They you know keep you engaged. You spend a few bucks. You watching the games yep. to s- sort of see, and they're they're the best reason. And probably the reason I don't want to be involved too much with an AFL club because you can't bet on the footy. But it's yeah. uh, you know I never bet in my life until, but it's made the last two years far more enjoyable you know to have these multis. My wife gets involved and our friends get involved, <laughs> so it's pretty cool. Yeah. But yeah, I, like I can't. Bet on the games I, I commentate on, which is because you know I have so much effect on the on the team or whatever. Right. But yeah, every other game. So I generally watch most of the teams, and I'll bet on the teams that I watch a lot, which is generally the Lions or, you know, what Craig McRae's doing at Collingwood or Carlton, yeah, or Chris Goss doing it at, at down there because their mates uh, down there in the Cats. But that's about it. Yeah, I would still love the game. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's the Instagram Q and A is done. So just a reminder, you can get involved, Ethan. At Bray and Ethan on Instagram, uh, Facebook and Twitter, and then Bray Ethan on TikTok, where we'll, we we'll find some clips of this to yeah. go on TikTok and should be a good chat. But Ethan, we've got a big schedule coming up. I'm uh, not going to reveal any names just yet, but uh, hopefully we'll have a couple of big names next week joining us. But uh, yeah. Jason, that's all the time we've got for you. You've been incredible for your time. It was an unbelievable career and we love your honesty. And uh, it's good to see you're going well outside of the game as well. So thanks for joining us. No problem, Bray. No problem, Ethan. Thanks for letting us come on. Until then, 
We'll see you next time here on the Brown Nathan Podcast.